Hanley, uh, yeah. I asked Hanley just to, she had a word and. Uh, Hello, everyone. <laughs> so, some, some morning this week, when I was spending time with God, um, I'm reading through the book of Isaiah, and um, I wasn't in a very great space, actually, and I read the following scripture, and yo, <laughs> the Lord really spoke to me. So, um, Isaiah 64, from verse 6, says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, no one who stirs himself up to take hold of you. And I felt the Lord say to me, are you stirring yourself up to take hold of me? Or are you just waiting for outside revelation, for people to pray with you? Or are you stirring yourself up to take hold of who he is? And um, as I was praying then, God gave me a picture of someone sitting on their knees and working with their hands in, in the soil and taking out building rubble, little bit by little bit taking out the building rubble. And I just felt him encourage me that often in our lives we feel like we're just busy taking out rubble. But before there can be fertile soil, the seeds that will be sown, some things need to be removed and it's a process, but we have to put our hands in and remove the rubble out of our own lives and also out of the lives of the people around us. Now, I know this can sound almost like we had two, two words. I, I, I really try and listen to the Lord through the words, the prophetic words. So the prayer meeting was that God has got to open heaven, the doors open, you know, we can come in, there's access. And then there's this side of it where it's like, it's like where we've got to push in, you know, it's that thing of seeking the Lord. And uh, it's a thing of being stirring yourself up. So, like, which is it? You know, so we, we can be very either or type of people. <laughs> and uh, sometimes uh, to find the Lord, it's not one or the other; it's both and. <laughs> and, and and sometimes it helps us because we think like the Greeks. You know, not you know they 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 think more like that intellectually. But the Hebrew is actually often both end. I, I've noticed that in their, their understanding. And so, yeah, so just weighing this up, because I do, I do witness with both words. I do witness that there's, there's, there's a waiting in the Lord, and I've almost felt like, that's why I shared even last week of that thing of stirring yourself up. It's like we don't wait for the Lord passively. We wait actively. And so, and, and that's what we've got to understand. It's like Jesus said to the disciples, wait for me. Because I'm, I'm going to clothe you on high. I'm going to send my spirit. But in their waiting, they were worshiping the Lord. They were praising. They didn't know how this was going to happen, what was going to happen. They just knew they were waiting on the Lord. And that's what Scripture says. If those who seek me will find me. And I want to encourage you guys because I almost I felt this sense of, of passivity. And, and, and don't question which, which comes first. You know, should I just wait, let God break through, and then I respond? Because sometimes we think like that. And we can think almost like... Which comes first, you know, <laughs> the chicken or the egg? I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. But, but I, I want to be both and. I want to be seeking the Lord, but also knowing I can't do it. But yet I'm going for it. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? It's, it's like, yeah, so I almost felt almost like, what was that? It was a, the Sistine Chapel. When you see uh, the Michelangelo painted that thing, I've never been there, but I've seen the pictures 
where it's got uh, Adam and he's sitting on the rock and he's going like this and, and his fingers and God's down in the cloud and he's, he's touching him. But almost like, and I look at that picture of, of Adam, it's just like I'm waiting on the Lord, you know, is that touching? And I don't, I don't, I, it's almost like the, 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 the opposite picture that we should have. It's like we should be, God, I want you, you know, I'm seeking you, you alone have eternal life. <laughs> and uh, that's the picture I'm wanting us to get of, of the church. That's what we call to. And, uh, and so as I had that word that Honey brought, I, I changed my whole message because I, I could witness with that word. And so I just felt this morning, and I know I've shared on this scripture before, but I want to share it again because I feel God wants to highlight something just in that. And so I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 to 7. So if you can go with me to, to that scripture, please. Have you got it, Joel? Still not there. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 to 7. Did I give that one to you? Sorry. There we go. It says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you uh, in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we are among you for your sake. Now, you know, I, I love that scripture, but you know, Paul's talking to them, to the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, and he's saying to them, you guys, man, you guys are the model church. You guys, and he, and he makes this comparison. I mean, Come on, Paul, you don't compare. <laughs> you know, it's like, who's better, PM or AM, you know? Or, and, and, but Paul, Paul brings this illustration. I love it because in that, he's saying, look, in comparison to Macedonia, which is the whole northern part of Greece, he says you're better than, than those churches. And those are like places like Philippi. And he's comparing them to them. And then he, he talks about Archaea, which is the southern part of Greece. And there would be churches like Corinthians and... Um, What's the other one? Athens was another one. They were on the southern part. And he's comparing the two churches, and he's, he's, and he's only been there for a few weeks. So a few weeks. This church is kind of in its infant stage. In its infant stage. It's like a baby. And he says, you know, you guys are the, are the topaz. Now, that word topaz is the, the type. You become the type. You become the model. And imagine that. You just started. I mean, how long have we been going now? Six, six months probably. Yeah, and, and, and he's saying to them, you guys are the blueprint. It's important that we understand this because yo, I just realized what God can do when he's active, when he's flowing in his church. And, um, and he's saying, you're the man. <laughs> you're the blueprint. Or woman, because it's the bride. I don't know. But uh, you're the model, you know. Um, but in his heart, he's also got a thankfulness towards them. And he's saying... You know, I'm thankful for this reason. And, and, and he, he doesn't like to say I'm thankful, you know, thank you, Jesus. But he's, I'm thankful for what, what's happening. And, I, I, yeah, I think, I think in that, you guys even got to acknowledge, I'm thankful. And I know the elders are thankful for what God is doing in us and through us. And so, even tonight, it's not a message of rebuke or that. It's one of encouragement. It's one of keeping the focus of what we're thankful for. And I want to do that this evening, just seeing what we're thankful for, but also what we're thankful in. Because we're not just thankful for a, 
not nothing. <laughs> We're thankful for what God is doing in us and through us, okay? And, and what is that? And I, I want to point to these qualities that Paul brings out to the church in Thessalonica. And there's three qualities that he brings out. And to me, these three qualities are kind of a good definition of what a Christian is. It's a good definition of what a good church looks like, but I think you can even narrow it down to a good definition of a Christian. So if you want to write down a definition of Christian, let's look at this. He says, your work is produced by faith, your labor is prompted by love, and your endurance is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I do get it that you know, when we're born again, I want to say, the moment you're born again, you, that's, that's it. That's the definition. Now, do you get, we get different degrees of this. So when you're born again, your faith isn't there. It's like growing, you know. Your hope is growing. Your, your love is growing, okay. So we all got different degrees of it, but it starts when we become born again. It's like this thing of that you have a hope, and it's a work which is produced by faith, a labor which is prompted by love, and an endurance inspired by hope. And so I want to look at this because, you know, these three qualities, faith, hope, and love that Paul's talking about, not all the churches have. And I'm sure as he brings this comparison by saying, you guys are the model church, you know, the same breath he's been commending Thessalonica for, he's actually rebukes Corinthian for. Think of it. He rebukes them because he says, you know what? You guys are childish. You're thinking like children. And uh, he's rebuking them. And he says, you know, you need to grow up. Grow up. Stop drinking milk. Stop playing with childish things. Stop put your toys away. You guys are grown up now. Stop, start acting like adults. He says, you're still carnally minded. You're still thinking like the world thinks. And, he, and he's rebuking them. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he actually specifies you know, what they should be doing. He says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. You see, it's the same things he's encouraging Thessalonica for, he's rebuking Corinthians for. He's rebuking them because they lack it. And he says, you know what, you've got the gifts, you've got the talents, you've got all the, the bells and whistles, and you guys look good on the outside as a church, but actually, you're fraught. So let's not compare gifts, talents, as what makes a healthy church. Let's look at these three qualities that Paul talks about. And it's three qualities that we do need to understand because, I don't know, faith, hope, and love is kind of qualities that, in a sense, can be deceiving because you can't see them. I'm just going to take off my jacket. So there are three qualities that you can't see. And because of it, it can be self-deceiving. And it needs to be tested. You know, I, my, if I base my faith on my feelings or my love on my feelings or my hope on my feelings, what, what, you know, if you think of feelings, they, they come and they, what? They go, right? They're there and they're there. And, but Paul, remember what he said, faith, hope, and love, these three, what? Remain. Feelings come and go. So I can't base this on feeling because some days I've got it, some days I don't have the feeling. But he, but he begins to materialize this. He, he begins to say we need to test it. It needs to become realized. It needs to become materialized in how you work this thing out. And, uh, and so he takes these three qualities and he says, I want to I ground those three qualities in the fruit of your life. And uh, you see, fruit is kind of something you can't see. 
And I, I love the way Paul does this because he kind of, he takes these qualities, and I'm sure he's, he's led by the Spirit when he writes this letter. He's inspired. But he also doesn't say, look, you guys have got faith, hope, and love. Well done. And leave it there because that would just be pie in the sky kind of stuff. But he grounds it. And, and I love the way he grounds it. He says, you know, he shows how powerful, tangible faith can look like. And he grounds it. He says it's a work produced by faith. So he shows them, look, out of this comes a work. Then he talks about the, the tangibleness of your love, how real it is. You know, it's among each other. And he, he talks about a labor prompted by love. And then he goes to hope and he says, endurance inspired by hope. Now that's the fruit. Okay? That's the fruit. The, the work, the labor, the endurance is the fruit of those qualities. That's what you can see. You guys with me? Now, I do understand that we can lean to grace and we can lean to the truth sometimes. And I want you to get this because I, I think as I was reading this, I, I really, almost like, I felt in the Lord that, you know, one of the things with, with this, when we talk about works, I do understand we can become legalistic. When you talk about works, if you lean purely on works, you can become legalistic. But if you lean purely on grace, you can, you can become licentious. You can become, um, what's the word, complacent if it's just grace. And so Paul brings this balance for me as I was reading it. And, and, and I want to say this about even us as elders, you know, our responsibility is to watch over you and to look after you and, and care for you. But part of that is you plugged into us. It's not something that's in isolation. You, your, your participation, your involvement also determines your spirituality. And so I'll give you an illustration because sometimes people think I'm a, maybe I lean to sometimes law sometimes. But I know when a coal comes out of the fire, it can, has, the, has the danger of becoming cold. And so when I look at the fire, I'm talking about the church. This is the fire of God working in us. And I know, like, sometimes we, we miss things. We miss communities sometimes. We miss church sometimes. We miss just things. And in that in itself, we've got grace for. I want you to know, as a church, we've got grace. Sometimes we're sick. You know, sometimes it's been a long week. It's been heavy. You know, there's grace, you know, and there's grace upon grace upon grace. And if that's you, I want to say, don't feel condemnation. Or if you have a baby, I, I can understand if you're not here, but I'm actually more surprised that you are here. <laughs> but I know he wants to be here. So. But, I mean, we've got grace. I mean, this is what grace is for. It's like we understand. But there is a sense, and I want you to look at it from an elder's perspective. So my, my thing is sometimes we miss things, and I, oh, grace, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for their healing, and God restore them. And then the following Wednesday, well, I'm missing comp because it's my birthday. And then the next Sunday, it's like, oh, you know, we're going away the weekend. And so, so hear my heart. So in every moment, there's grace, there's grace, there's grace. But in that grace, you're getting colder, whether you like it or not. Do you hear what I'm saying? So as an elder, I'm, I'm concerned, I'm worried. I'm like, thank God, I, I don't want them to think it's heavy, but, but I'm praying for them. And Lord, and that's why I want to encourage you guys, even in those moments, phone me. Say, listen, we can't make it. This is what's happened. You know, I'm sharp. I'm okay. This man has been gone for two months, but he constantly phoned me, and I knew his heart. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's good. I'm glad he did that because I didn't have to. Oh, where's Sean now spiritually? Is he getting cold? And it's like it helps me. It helps me as an elder, you know. So I want to encourage you guys in those moments when you – it's not a law. It's really, it's like, how are you doing spiritually? You know, the Bible says the elders are called to watch over your soul. 
How do you do that? Your presence is important. But we can't lean on the law that we become legalistic, you know, like you've got to tick every box. Why, Sean, why aren't you there? No, that's also wrong. It's how he's doing spiritually, how, you know. And so, yeah, so Paul grounds this, and I love the fact the way he does it. He says, your work produced by faith. Okay, so we all know, if you become born again, if you've given your life to Jesus, we know it's not by works that you're saved. Okay, we, we, we understand Scripture. It's by faith alone. Okay, so I want to, Ephesians 2.8, it's for by, by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Okay, so we understand that. But you know what? We're not saved by our works, but we are saved unto good works. The Bible says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good what? Works. Okay, so there's good works that God's prepared for you, that you should walk in them. And so we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. And uh, James 2.14, it says, what does it profit, my brethren? If someone says, in other words, it's just a verbal proclamation that he has faith, but does not have works or actions, does that faith save him, actually? That's what he's asking. James is saying, so actually, does that faith save you? Hear, hear what James is saying. So, yes, Benny, we're not saved by works, but you know what? The outworking of my faith is that it is works. And James is saying, look, how do I know? Because if it is Christ who initially put that faith in me, well, the outworking of that should be shown. It should be seen. And James is saying, well, look, if you're not living out the fruit, then actually, are you saved? That's, that's what James is putting it. Quite heavy, huh? It's a, it's a good thermometer for yourself. It's, yeah. 2 Corinthians 13, says, examine yourself to see whether you are of the faith. In other words, test yourself. Faith has to be tested, church. It has to be tested. And it's demonstrated by works in, in the outworking of it. You know, if something's false, you, you, sometimes you only know later. I bought my wife a couple of years ago now, probably when we first got married. I remember buying her this leather bag in Durban. Now, when you buy something from a, a certain shop in Durban, <laughs> sometimes they can say a lot of things. And I won't mention anything, but, but it said genuine leather. But over time, I started seeing the cracks and things started peeling off, and I started realizing this is a leather veneer. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's almost like those watches you get from the flea market, you know, pure gold, and then you see in writing plated. <laughs> you know, it's like it's pure in its sense, but it's only a veneer, you know. Yeah, it's like a genuine faith, but it's, it's, it's kind of a veneer of faith. It's just a look, it's an appearance of faith. And Paul's saying, well, look, over time, you're going to see because of the works. You're going to see whether there's real, genuine faith because it's going to, what, be tested. And that's why he says, you know, Jesus, that count it all joy. You go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want to lack nothing. I'm not there yet. My wife can tell you I don't. I, I lack. <laughs> I can tell you that she lacks. I can tell you that you lack, and you lack, and you lack. But I'm getting there because I'm, I'm, I'm pushing on to this thing of faith, knowing it's, it's a work produced in me. Then he goes on, he says, okay, so it's a work of faith, but then he says, but it's a labor of love. 
Now, Paul's going a bit deeper now. You think of it. What's the difference between a work and a labor? So we all got works in the Lord. You know, God's given us works. He's, we are His workmanship, and He gives us things to do. And we, we can minister, and we can disciple one another to a degree. But now he goes another level. He's saying it's a labor. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at labor, it's almost like there's a process ahead. It's like you've got to set your body for a trajectory that you know is hard work. This is not just a once-off I'm doing, oh, let's just minister for this person and let's go back and let's do this in the Lord. Those are works that God's given us. But then there's times where he's talking about labor, that this is, this is going to require a lot of work. You know, so you set your mind and your heart and your spirit for this long endurance of, of, of labor. The labor is quite a... So here's a thought. I'll just think of it now. If Stephen kind of after the birth and that, hey, hun, good work. Well done. I'm sure she's going to slap him. It wasn't just the work, hey, Stephen. How many hours was she in labor? 18, 18 hours of labor. That's a labor. I wouldn't know. I don't understand, but I'm sure it was painful. I'm sure it was a lot of commitment and... But I'm sure Alicia kind of embraced herself for that day because there was a long labor ahead of her. And it's the same with this. He's talking about love. Love is a labor. It's, it's like 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 7 tells us, hey, Jean, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you see what Paul is saying? It's almost like you've got to embrace yourself for this thing of love because as you commit to it, as you commit to one another, it's like your body's got to be ready for it. This person is going to take work. This marriage is going to take work. This situation, this this um, insecurity is going to take work to help that person through. But we do it together. You know, I was just ministering to a couple and said, oh, you know, I feel bad because I'll be coming to you again. Actually, no, don't be because this is why I'm here. This is understanding. It's a, it's, it's, it's a labor of love. This is not a once-off thing. We, we, we committed to this. So I, I want to say to you guys, every single one of you, you're not a burden to me. If you ever phone me because you're in need, phone me. Let me know. You're never a burden. In fact, you might be a burden, but I'm prepared for that burden because this is the burden that, that I've been given. But it's a burden you've also been given. I'm not saying, in my heart, I love you guys. But you're, you're going to be a labor. And don't, Paul says you're going to be a labor. I didn't say it. You're a work at times. You're a labor. <laughs> but I love it because this is his body. We're preparing each other for Jesus. And so I want you guys to recognize, are you laboring in love? Is someone, is someone working out things in you that you've got to deal with? Patience, long-suffering, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in equity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things. Sometimes we've got to believe the best in our brothers. Okay. And then he goes a step further. Your endurance inspired by hope. Now, this is even more. This is not just work. This is not just labor. But now this is endurance. This is knowing that this is not a quick race. When you talk about races of endurance, like Paul even talks about, it's a race of endurance. And I know some of you know my stories of races. 
even when I was at school, I remember going for the Southeastern Transvaal and running, and I was a good sprinter, and I loved it, and I always used to do it, and I used to come first in all my inter-high schools when I did it, but when it got to the Southeastern Transvaal, you started getting more competitive, then the you start getting the big boys who know, who train for this. And the problem with me is I never trained. <laughs> I, just, I just went on what I had. And, and there was lack of, because, you know, you, when it comes to the quick races, like the 100 meters, it's easy. It's, it, you know, I think you can train yourself in that to get, become better. But, but initially, it's, it's kind of a talent that's there or not. You know, some people are just slow. My wife always used to laugh at that because she was one of those Always at the end of the race, coming last. Hey, my babes. But I would have whistled for you if I was in your school. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is not a quick race. I remember running one of those races where, because I was a 100-meter runner and 150 meters I could do well, I remember one time them asking me to run the 400 meters. And they go, oh, sure. Bring it on, you know, take like this arrogant little schoolboy matric. I can take these guys on. And you start running, hey, and you're going, and he's like, 100 meters? Where are the guys? Like, they're way behind. 200 meters? Oh, no, this is, why didn't I take this up long ago? You know, thinking, get you to 300 meters. Well, I've got 100 meters left. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm running, and I hit this, what the runners call a wall. And I'm like, oh, and all of a sudden, my muscles, you know, this adrenaline or whatever that's there, start to disappear. And I'm like, oh, what's happening? You know, slow motion. And all these guys start overtaking me. Like, I'm like, what? I came stone last in that race. Why? Because it wasn't just a quick talent gifting dependent gift. And I want to say a lot of guys run to churches because they got the gifts, they got the talents, they got amazing worship team, got amazing preachers, and you come on that. Let me tell you, that gift in itself doesn't determine whether someone's set for the endurance race that's set before him. I can look good on stage, but let me tell you, it's this thing of enduring that God counts. He looks at this and says, are you prepared to run the 400 meters? Are you prepared to run the 1,000 meters or the 3,000 with each other. I've got a long distant race for you guys. You need to set your hearts for that. You need to set your minds for that. You need to embrace yourselves for that. And so we can't rely on giftings and talents. And I want to say bring your giftings and talents. They are important because we all got a, a contribution to make. But don't think that that in itself is your identity. Okay? Because you're going to hit a 400 meter race and you're going to look stupid sometimes. I'm being honest. There's going to be come a time that I've looked bad because of my gift. I've depended on a gift, and I look good. And God says, you know what? you become proud, Benny. I'm going to humble you right now because you're not loving the people. You're loving yourself. I've, I've had that. I've had teachings taken away from me for a season because, you know, it was like the church wasn't ready for teachings. It was ready to, to have a moment of just worship and spending time with the Lord. And, and I felt an identity in those things. I thought, Dio. and I didn't, thought, I didn't think I had an identity in my teaching. But God took it away and he made it real. I thought, God, wow, I, you know, I, I realized how dependent I am on the gift. And so God will take those things away to test your heart. Do you love his church? Because that's what counts. Do you love them? Even if you're humble, do you love them? 
There's times that I feel stupid, but it's, it's not my consciousness of you. It's my consciousness of Him and my love for you. And so, yeah, so it's a hope that we have that we can endure this. It's a hope that we have in Christ. And I want to say even here, I know there's a hope with some of us that have been deferred. And the Bible says, a hope deferred in Proverbs 13, 12, makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. And I want to say our hope is not here, church. If your hope is here, if your hope is in your business, if your hope is in your finances, if your hope is in your family, your kids, there's going to become moments where they're going to be deferred because things aren't going to happen the way you want. And, uh, you know, I was just reading in Hebrews 6.19, I didn't give this to Joel, but it says, we have this hope that is an anchor to the soul. And it's that which enters behind the veil. In other words, it's not circumstantial. My hope is not what happens around me. It's a hope set behind the veil. Why, why does it secure me? Why does it anchor me in the Lord? Think of it. It's, it talks about behind the veil. Well, that's the Holy of Holies. That's actually in the presence of God. How can I be disappointed when I'm in His presence? There's no disappointment. When I'm in the Lord, I'm honestly I find that he's my fulfillment. It's there. It's there that my hope is. It's, it's there where it should be. You know, it was the hope, and I want to say sometimes we look at the circumstances and we look at the, the challenge we have to face. And, I, and so Paul's making it very clear. This, there is a labor. There is a work. There is, there's an endurance. But I also want to say this. Don't look at that in itself as if, oh, Another work, another endurance. Another. No, if you think of Jesus, it was for the hope set before him that he endured the cross. That he could go to the cross. That he said, Lord, I'm taking this because I know what's awaiting on the other side of that cross. My hope is on that side of the cross. My hope is not in the cross. I know you've got to take me through this, Father. I know. I understand this. Remember when he prayed in Gethsemane, he says, Lord, it's not my will but let your will be done. And I'm going to submit to that. And so in a sense, we do that. We, we take up our cross in Christ. We take up our cross. We say, Lord, I know this is my cross. This is mine to bear, but I'm going to go because I know what the hope is. I'm going to put my hope in the, in the veil, behind the veil. And so I just felt, even tonight, I felt for a little bit of ministry. And I've, is it right that we can still do that? You think we've got time? I felt to break up, just to pray for each other, because I, and I don't want to just do it for the sake of doing, but I really felt in the Lord that word of Hanley's, I really feel it is the Lord. I feel there's some of us who, who've lost sight of the hope, lost sight of the, the faith, lost sight of the, even the joy that's set before us, you know, that, that we come to the Lord. And I want us to pray for each other, just to minister in groups, let's say groups of six or so, and I want us to pray for each other because I do feel that even in the church, that, that, and I want you guys to be vulnerable. That's why I wanted groups of six, to make yourself vulnerable in the Lord. You know, there's just this area there of faith, maybe you're battling with, to bring it to the guys. So please pray for my faith or pray for my hope. I've lost hope. I put my hope in the wrong things. Can we, can we do that? But I, wanted, I want you to do it, but I also want you to know, don't, don't make this a counseling moment. Okay. Let it be a prayer moment, because as Paul was talking about that, you know, in that same scripture in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, he says this, 
because our gospel came to you not simply with words. He says, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And so even tonight, I'm praying that in your little groups, that God will come to you in power, through His Holy Spirit, and with conviction. Can we do that? Cool. Let's, let's do that quickly and then, yeah, just break up in small groups. I know it might be, if you're a visitor, I'm sorry um, for a vulnerability, but just take this moment and, and for us who are regulars, just see if there's anybody left out.